podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All righty, it is that time to get started. Let us get started by taking our Bibles, opening them up if you have them. We're picking back up in Acts chapter 4. It's been an ordeal started in Acts chapter 3, but it's a long incident. One thing leads to the next thing, and we're in the next thing now. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father, what a tremendous miracle. The healing of the lame man and those wonderful crowds and then that anointed message of the gospel of eternal life. And now they're in trouble. They're in trouble for obeying you, not for doing anything wrong, but to, to just be in who you made us to be those who bring light into a dark world to tell some good news about the way that we can escape death and judgment and live forever, be reconciled to the God who made us and loved us enough to send his own son. And for that, they've been threatened with serious consequences and told to stop. And now they're going to gather and pray And this is going to be very insightful for us because we live under the same kinds of pressures. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, did you guys feel the earthquake that happened early Thursday morning? How many of you? Yeah, most of you. I felt uh, a jolt there. I mean, the five miles underneath the Santa Rosa neighborhood of Roseland, something moved. And so I felt that little uh, rumble and then went back to sleep because that's what you do after 40 years of experiencing occasional quaking, especially when it's only a 3.4 magnitude wannabe, right? A 3.4, whatever. Um, So, but I wonder about the earthquake what it scored on the Richter scale back that rocked the upper room, uh, epicenter right directly under the Christians who were praying and asking God for boldness here in Acts chapter 4. The many earthquakes, as you know, in the Bible, usually they're manifestations of divine power. I mean, nothing shows off God's ability than when he gives the earth he created with some words, a little shaking, right? And so really he reveals himself uh, a lot. He says, here I am at the crucifixion, at the resurrection, 
and uh, signs of judgment. They're very earthquakes are very useful to God for judgment. And um, yeah, uh, number sixteen, Korah's rebellion. The earth just opened up, shook, and boom, the bad guys were taken care of that way. And so, and mind you, the earthquake of all earthquakes is prophesied for Revelation sixteen. The the earthquake that will end it all. Revelation 16, the Bible says, never one like it before and never one like it afterwards. And so not all earthquakes, though, are created equal. Some are actually happy occasions of God's favor. You'll recall in Acts 16 when Paul and Silas are unjustly uh, brutalized and tossed into jail, and yet... They sing praises to God even though they're wounded and hurt. That just makes God so happy. He just shakes the place up and the prison doors open wide and they go free, not to mention the jailer and his family get saved. And so that was a happy one. And so too the earthquake that sways the rafters of the upper room in this morning's passage, Acts 4, is a happy kind of shaking. Uh, following a beautiful time of worship and, and prayer. And uh, it's God's way of saying, look, I, I know I'm invisible, but that doesn't mean I'm not here. Yeah. <laughs> he shakes and lets them know, I'm here, I'm pleased, and I'm going to answer your prayer. What was the prayer about? Well, uh, they're praying for boldness to keep on doing what Jesus had asked them to do. He said, go into all the world, start at Jerusalem, and bring the good word, the word of eternal life. Uh, but they have been told by the authorities not to do that anymore um, by threat of their very lives. And so that's why they need the boldness, and that's what the prayer is all about. And so, yeah, uh, uh, they are told and mandated, uh, speak not in the name of Jesus. Now, the funny thing is that before we even get started, if they were speaking in God's name, ah, you know, whatever. You know, some people need a crutch or whatever. Uh, but if it's Jesus' name, it's the J word, that's the problem. Because if Jesus is alive and rose from the dead, he's a person in history who died and is alive now. Well, that has a claim not only on me, but on them as well. Because if Jesus is alive and well, then the Bible is true, and Jesus is Lord, and then if he's Lord of me, he is Lord of you, sir. And that's why the pushback comes. And so, uh, but, and so a little context, then we'll see how they handle the pressure of the mandates to stop being who God commanded them to be. So we see the haters coming out of the woodwork here with a hostile uh, pushback to a message, ironically, that can save their soul from hell. Uh, and woe to them who have to wake up in eternity and realize I fought my whole life against the one who loved me the most and was trying to spare me from hell and judgment and give me eternal life, but I fought against that. Wow. It just... <laughs> It's like a drowning man who hates the lifeguard who's trying to save him. You don't know, but that's what the Bible says. That's exactly what it describes will happen. So for the context, there was an amazing miracle. A lame man now bouncing around like a happy kangaroo praising Jesus. And uh, a crowd comes, and since miracles are always meant 
to point to the greater work. Not about the ankles, it's about eternal life. You know, and so Jesus said, oh, you're going to do greater things and you will open blind eyes and deaf ears and raise the dead spiritually. You raise people by speaking the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will pass out of judgment into life. And so, yeah, well, they, they're preaching the gospel. Things are going good. You remember last week, the same sourpuss, self-righteous, corrupt religious authorities come in while they're preaching and uh, apprehend the guys and uh, toss them into uh, jail. And then in the next day, they haul them out, put them on the X in front of the Sanhedrin, the high Jewish court, before whom our Lord Jesus several weeks earlier stood in the same place. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, let him have it. So much so, they were astonished and speechless. And they took a time out and, and they went back and said, what are we going to do with these guys? And uh, they just came out and threatened them and said, listen, we're the guys who killed your Lord. We have no problem killing you too. So stop it. And Peter says, you judge for yourselves if it's a smart thing for us to do to obey you rather than God. Because we've got to keep on doing what God has told us to do. And so they got mad and they threatened them more and then they kicked them out. They said, get out of here. Verse 1. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. The, the dearest place on earth. The people of God together. Brothers and sisters in the Lord. And reported, gave the testimony of everything that just happened and everything the chief priests and the elders had to say to them. When they heard this, the church gathered. They raised their voices together in prayer to God, one person praying, everyone agreeing. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Good way to start a prayer. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our ancestor David, quoting Psalm 2. Now we see the New Testament is calling the Old Testament God's word, and the Psalms are God's word. Why do, Psalm 2, quoting two verses from Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? This is a thousand-year-old prophecy. Why do the nations and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and rulers gather against the Lord and his anointed one, the Messiah, chosen one. Indeed, here we go, Herod, the kings of the earth, Pontius Pilate, the governor, met together with the Gentiles, means non-Jewish people, just the word means nations, and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. Just want to say right now, Jesus is God. He is God the Son. There, God exists in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And to call Jesus your servant, the Father's servant, is God the Father is being served by God the Son, who is sent as God the Father's servant to take on the sins of the world. He appeared, Philippians chapter 2, in the form 
of a servant and humbled himself even unto death, even death on a cross. So in that way, Jesus is just no ordinary servant. He is God, the Son, serving God the Father and serving us by being our sin bearer. Thank you for that hallelujah. Uh, Indeed, let's see. They did what your power, they, they conspired against Jesus to get rid of him, but they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. He goes on, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders. Keep doing your thing, God, through us, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Yes, indeed. Love that. Love that passage. Now, we who are facing more and more intimidation from authorities, who are seizing more and more control and power, and are hostile to people like you and me, we need to pay special attention to this impromptu worship service and this wonderful prayer. If you're going to find any blessing, any peace at all, here it is. We've got to respond the way the early church responded. And part of the reason we're reading about it is because God wants us to imitate the early church in their response to the corrupt authorities who were telling them, we no longer want you to spread the word. We want this thing to stop. So let's stop in and drop in, as it were, to Calvary Chapel, Jerusalem this morning and take a closer look. It's really a prayer uh, there that we're looking at, but three things stand out. The worship time begins. uh, Number one, note takers, a powerful testimony, which leads us to see this biblical perspective. Number two, they see their circumstances through the lens of the scriptures. And I can guarantee you, whatever you're going through, there's hundreds of different scenarios right now, right here. Every one of you, there's a chapter and verse to go, there it is. There's the answer right there. This isn't a surprise. I'm on the grid. I'm on the chart. I'm right here, right there. And that's what they're doing. They're saying, how do we understand the authorities killing Jesus and now coming after us? How do we understand that? Oh, Psalm 2. Yeah. And then we end up with the dramatic confirmation. God answers their prayer for boldness by shaking the place up. A sign of his good pleasure. You see? And so let's dive in to the powerful testimony time. First paragraph, please, Mr. Spencer. And verse 23 when they got out of there, they hightailed it back to the upper room, question mark, uh, where all the brothers and sisters in the Lord are gathered together uh, to hear how God came through for the wind. Verse 24, as soon as everyone hears the story, there's an outburst of spontaneous praise and a prayer that starts out, oh Lord, <laughs> you rule over everybody. You are the one who created heaven, the earth, the seas, and everything in them. So we're off. Let's talk about this. Now, before the amazing prayer comes an amazing testimony, and they're related. 
Uh, never underestimate the power of returning to your people with a testimony about how God has come through for you in faithfulness and in goodness. It just causes everybody to come together and want to love him more, serve him more devotedly. It's an amazing thing. One writer said this. Notice how the testimony shapes the form of the prayer. When God does an amazing work on our behalf, we need to return to our own people and report all the ways God has been good to us for the sake of building others up, for that is what he has called us to do. When we we come together, we're supposed to have a word or be on the lookout for somebody who's in need that we would encourage them with a scripture or pray with them. That's our job to do, that we have a testimony that, that we're not sitting there thinking, when is somebody going to come and refresh me? But the Proverbs say, he who refreshes others, they themselves will be refreshed. I cannot tell you how many times. And, and this, I always use this poor woman, and I'm, I'm sure she's grown in her Christian faith by now, but 25 years ago, in, I'm walking through the lobby at the break time, and a woman's standing there looking really confused or angry or upset, and I walk up and I go, hi, Mary. Let's just pick a Whoops, and then I know Mary is here today. I'm not talking to, yeah, sorry. Sorry, Mary. <laughs> Mary, you go John or Mary, you know. Sorry, yeah. Uh, let's call her Barbara. Whoop, no, can't do that. That's my wife's name. A woman is standing there. I go up and say, hi, woman standing there. And she says, you are the first person who has greeted me. I can tell you right now, 17, I'm counting, 17 people in this church walked straight by me, didn't say a word. And I was thinking, I wanted to walk straight by you, but (laughs) from just the vibe you were sending out, I came over, I didn't tell her this, I came over to minister to you. Like, I felt like, oh, here's a woman who really (laughs) needs prayer, you know? But no, she's just standing there being herself, saying, uh, and then she went home, and then I've never met a church more cold and more, no. What if you came to church? Let me see how many people I can greet, how many people I can make comfortable, how many people I can welcome and refresh. Oh, that will change. That will be... (laughs) I just saved a lot of you $100 an hour in therapy. <laughs> That's all I have to say. And myself, you know, because everybody's default mechanism is what about me? Who's saying hi to me? Who thinks I'm important? And the whole world revolves around God and his job for us to do. Okay, I think you get the point. So notice <laughs> with me, their first reaction to the council's mandate. They gather in the name of Jesus and did the exact opposite and start talking, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Not because they're saying, let's rebel against authority. They're saying, let's obey God and pray for those who persecute us. That's a whole different way of dealing with it. They didn't lock themselves inside or cower under the threats. They didn't let their lives be driven by fear. What if? Oh no, <clears throat> stay home and lock myself up and can't talk about Jesus anymore. Shh, stop being who God made you to be. No, that's not going to work here at all. 
they went back to their own people to find friendlier faces, brighter eyes, warmer hearts, and encouragement. The Bible says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together, 1 Corinthians 12. That's who we are. That's how he created us. He, he, he says, you're put in a body and an ear severed over there is a problem for the ear and it's a problem for the body. So they went to their own people because we have a shared story. We have been called out of death into life. We have a hope and a future, a future glory. We sympathize, we understand, we comfort one another, we build each other up, we are accountable to one another. So yeah, they go to their own people and Satan's job is to disrupt that and prevent you from going to your own people. So, yeah, verse 23, testimony time. They want to glorify Jesus. And the word to glorify, which we sang about, it means to make bigger, to magnify. And so they're going to make larger the goodness and wonder and power of God who intervened on their behalf. They're going to tell the story. And by the way, if you're going to brag about Jesus, you know, that's the only thing we can brag about. He says, if anybody likes to boast, let him boast in the Lord, right? So Peter, I imagine I'm going to take some time to just pretend we're listening to Peter stand up in the upper room and say, guys, listen up. John's standing there and the lame man who was once lame. He's been with them the whole time. And he's a believer. So get this here. And let's call him Mike, all right? Because they all knew him. Everybody in Jerusalem knows Mike. He's been there for years and years and years. And so Mike's standing there, jumping around. And Mike gets healed. And, and, and we preach the gospel. And the guys from the Sanhedrin, they come and they arrest us. They throw us into jail. What a night we had. Oh, John and I were praying and felt the Holy Spirit. And oh, we, we slept like babies. It was so wonderful. God's peace was with us. And we walk out in the morning and they say, stand on the X. And we stand in the same place Jesus stood. Our Lord, what an honor. And I'm standing there thinking, oh, my word, why am I so at peace? And, and they say, Caiaphas, with his crazy demon eyes, he looks at me and says in that voice of his, by whose authority did you do this? And I took a deep breath and I felt like Jesus was standing right there with me. And I opened my mouth and I'm like so bold. And not only am I saying in the name of Jesus, then I am accusing them of killing him. But God raised him from the dead. And then I called him out on Psalm 118. And they were speechless. They had to say, uh, time out. <laughs> and, they, and they kicked us out. And we went out and we're rejoicing. And Mike is praying up a storm over me and John. And, and, and then we go back in and they say, uh, uh, well, uh, we, yeah, shut this down or we'll shut you down. And John says, and then you guys would have been so proud of Peter. He said, just with yourselves, is it right to obey men? Or God, if your five-year-old asks you, hey, dad, should I obey what people say or what God says? What would you tell them? Of course we're going to obey God rather than you. And then they just threatened to kill us and then to get out of here. And so 
we left. And then he says, and did, <laughs> did I mention 2,000 people got saved? <laughs> 2,000 people got saved from that meeting. And so there's this burst of praise. One guy, maybe Peter, who knows? It's probably, we'll meet him, whoever it was, who prayed in everybody, everybody's heart. He was praying for all of them. And so here it goes. He starts with the sovereignty of God. It is good to fill your mind with the sovereignty of God before you start asking for any kind of need, especially if it's a big need or if it's impossible. So look what they do. This is impossible. They go, they, they, they go we've got a problem with the authorities, but sovereign Lord who created all things, heaven, the earth, the oceans, and everything in them by nature of who you are, you are sovereign over all that you created and sustain. Therefore, the only real ruler is you, O sovereign Lord. So that's a great way to start your prayers. You don't have to start with your laundry list of things you need God to do. Start with, with rehearsing the fact of who you have on the other end of that line. It's the one who can speak and make a planet. Just talk and say, you know, I want a planet today. Boom, and a planet goes there. Well, when you realize, you say, Father God, I know the earth belongs to you and the fullness thereof. You own a cattle on a thousand hills. I've got this need to ask you about. Do you see? Or you say, Holy Spirit, I know you're not the author of confusion. I know you are greater than the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, the prince of the power of the air. So I have this problem, and I need deliverance. But do you see how you started out? You started out that way. Jesus, all things are possible with you. So I ask, right? So that's what they're doing. Lord, you're sovereign over all creation. Oh, by the way, the word sovereign means unchallengeable power or unquestionable authority. So right from the, the jump, they're saying, you're in charge, not them, not them. You're in charge. You're running the planet. It doesn't always look that way. But we know that even you will take the evil that bad men do, and you will use that for your redemptive purposes. You're in charge. It's a hard thing to realize. Poor Pontius Pilate, he didn't realize it, did he? He's like, oh, the cat got your tongue, son of God? Don't you realize I'm the one who can set you free? Once you're not talking to me. And Jesus says, uh, excuse me, you don't have any power here, none at all, unless heaven gave it to you. So heaven's calling the shots. You're just kind of a pawn. Now, he could have excused himself anytime. He could have said, you know, my wife had a dream. I'm out. You know, I'm done. You're going to have to get somebody else to do this. And God would have said, thank you, I will. Anybody want to play the bad guy? But Pontius Pilate said, no, 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 me. Use me all the way to the end. I want the role. So God says, oh, then I will. I'll use you. He's, God is in charge. Not your problem or the people behind your problem. God's running the universe. And that leads to the prayer getting even better now at 25 to 28, there's 
revelation of their biblical outlook and perspective. I just love it. And still notice this. There is nothing they're asking for yet. They haven't got to the laundry list yet, right? They're just praising God. So 25, they keep on praying, yes, Lord, the Holy Spirit predicted this very thing. What's going on in our lives? It's right here. A thousand years ago, King David, by the Holy Spirit, he writes in Psalm 2, how silly, you nations who are fighting against God. Are you crazy? The rulers of this world form a coalition to fight against God and his Savior, the Messiah. Verse 27. So here it is, Lord, just like you said, the rulers conspired together to get rid of your chosen servant, Jesus. And then you expect, in verse 28, to do whatever they wanted to do. They conspired to do, and then they did whatever they wanted. No they conspired together to carry out a plot, but little did they know, verse 28, that they were carrying out your great plan that you decided beforehand should take place. Now, when you realize that, that anything that's going on in your life has had to get permission from God, that God's in charge, not the powers that are making your life uncomfortable at the moment. It had to have the permission of the Most High God. So we're on biblical perspective now. God's in charge, even though it may not seem that way. So they say, first things first, God, you're all powerful, and you know everything. You're all knowing as well. They're saying this, God, you've got this figured out. We don't. That's why we're talking to you. Nothing has taken you by surprise. In fact, a thousand years ago, you laid this all out for us. And notice what they do. They take Psalm 2 and they say, we know exactly who you were talking about a thousand years ago. Number one, the kings of the earth, Herod, King Herod. The rulers, Governor Pontius Pilate. The Gentiles, the Roman authorities, the peoples, the peoples of Israel chanting, crucify him, crucify him. His blood be upon us and our children, if only that were true in the good sense of that word. So they say, there it is, we see it. But check this out. Yes, indeed, Psalm 2 had everything to do with the crucifixion of God's anointed one, and the futility of men who thought they would get away with doing their own will when in fact it was the plan of God. Ultimately, Psalm 2 has to do with the second coming. A lot of prophecies have double um, meaning. They are fulfilled first at the first coming, but in a wider, grander scale with the second coming. And so this is exactly what happens in Revelation toward the end of the tribulation. The Re uh, Revelation tells us the rulers of and authorities and the kings of this earth conspire to take over God's people, to destroy God's people, and they gather in a valley called Megiddo. Armageddon. Armageddo. That's what Armageddon Geddon means Valley of Megiddo. And they gather, the rulers and the authorities conspire. And it says, the Lord appears and they fight against the Lord. The dumbest move of all. 
You do not see the Lord appear and fight against them. And they're thinking, why not? We spent our whole lives fighting against him. There he is, fire. And he opens his mouth and it says, I'm quoting the Bible, their blood is splattered for 200 miles by one word. So much for the rulers and authorities. So think about the rulers and authorities, but first think of the ruler who's sovereign, who is working even prepping this world now through the corruption, through the mandates, through the persecution. This is God's doing, using their evil, not the author of evil, but using the evil to prepare them for a one world government, for one world where you cannot buy or sell unless you have a mark. And this mark that's coming, this is a dress rehearsal, folks. The mark that's coming is an allegiance of the heart to worship, to yield your heart and life. It's not some minor thing like involving medical issues. It'll be bigger, but they will have gone through the motions of knowing, oh, if you want to get paid, if you want to have a job, if you want to travel, if you want to get on a bus, you better show the mark, you see. So don't panic. You understand that God is at work. And here's something I love. Psalm 18. Let me cheer you up with this. I sensed you needed a little encouragement. <laughs> to the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. What does that mean? It means shoot straight with God, and God says, I'll shoot straight with you. You try to play games with me? Oh, I will beat you at your own game. You think you're pulling the wool over my eyes? Oh, I'm pulling the wool over your eyes. That's how it works. You're going to make a move on the chessboard? I'm a million moves ahead of you. <laughs> and so that's what he's doing. And what does he tell Pharaoh? Through Moses. Your Pharaoh's pretty proud of himself. I'm fighting against the Lord of Moses and this people. No, I will not let him go. Halfway through that... The Lord says, hey, Moses, can you tell Pharaoh this? Pharaoh, speaking first person, I raised you up. I put you on the throne for this very reason. You think you're just saying, I'm hardening your heart. Every time Pharaoh hardens his heart, oh, six times, the Lord hardens it too. So as Pharaoh wants to harden his heart, God says, okay, buddy, I can play this game. To the crooked, I'll show myself shrewd. And I will help you destroy yourself because you're fighting against me and my people. Oh, God's going to win. God's going to win. Nobody's going to outsmart the Lord. Amen? Amen? He's like, listen, bub, you probably think you're all that. But you're resisting my people and their God. Well, actually, I'm the one who put you in charge. And I'm the one who's helping you do what you're doing right now so that the whole world can see my great power and my miraculous abilities. And so, yeah, so um, 
they keep uh, the the elders come to get Jesus, and Jesus is all, okay, let's get to this chop chop, let's do this thing. <laughs> they come to the garden with their clubs and chains, and, and Jesus says, Is this a joke? Are you kidding me? Come on, I'm in charge, I'm willingly coming. The whole reason I came to this earth was to do what you're bringing, you're bringing clubs to force me to do it. I don't think so. They, and he says, Who are you looking for anyway? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, I am the God statement. And they all fall over. And he's like, here, let me pick you guys up. You, gotta, <laughs> you guys got a job to do. Come on, you need a little help here? Come on, I can help you. But he, he's in charge. He's in charge. And so, yeah. So, And by the way, in Psalm 2, God's reaction is priceless. How does God react to the whole world saying, we're going to fight against you? He laughs. He laughs and holds them in derision. It's kind of like a, a father or an adult uh, walking with a toddler sitting on his foot and wrapping around his leg saying, I'm going to push you out of the way. Oh, really? And you just keep walking. It's like a little kid with a toy gun threatening a fully well-trained, fully armed Marine. Yeah, boom, boom, toddler has the fake gun. Yeah, it's just not going to work. So, so, you know, do you know that there's only one place recorded that God laughs in the Bible? And it's at the thought of his creation trying to resist him and destroy him. He gets a little bit of a chuckle out of that. All right, so as he's wiping the tears from his eyes after he sent his own son to die for those monsters. Yeah. And know this, he's not the author of evil. You can't say, oh, God's behind this because God is doing this. God's not doing it. Evil's doing it, and God is just saying, okay, let me work this out this way, you see. Um, So what about us? What about the evil that we're feeling? Jesus said, when you see these things happening, look up, because your redemption is nearer than you think. Salvation, seeing my face. And so, yeah, let's finish up. Just the P.S. here with the last little paragraph. They get to what they were asking for. Now the dramatic confirmation. Verse 29. So Lord, now please note, note the threats. And empower us to serve you anyhow. To continue to speak truth without fear. The boldness word, it's it's another unique word. It means to speak without fear, without holding back. It's really, actually, it's the word that the ancients used for free speech. Let us speak freely, without fear of intimidation. And when they finished, God let them know he was pleased there. And you see the answer to the prayer, they keep doing it. So, yeah, interesting now what they ask for. Dear Lord, you hear the threats, so please protect our lives. Nope, they're not afraid of the authorities. They're afraid of themselves. They're afraid of their own weak, sinful nature. They're afraid that because of the threats, They're going to betray the Lord they love and stop doing 
what God has called them to do. That's what freaks them out. Not the threat of being tossed into jail or dying. They say, our prayer, our priority is that, and maybe it is Peter praying because Peter knows when push comes to shove and they're looking at you and you realize they could crucify you, like really kill you, then you want to say, I swear to God, I don't know the guy. Church, what? I don't go to no church. Oh, did, did I say there were only two genders? I meant there's lots of genders. You see? Yeah, I love the rainbow. I bow before the rainbow. Are you kidding me? You see? A lot of people say those things because they put their own comfort and they hold their own convenience. More important than the truth that can set people free. And while we love everybody, we don't condone sin that will destroy a person. We love them enough to tell them the truth in love, right? And so all they're praying is what we pray. Dear God, don't let me buckle like a lot of my friends who shipwrecked their lives because they turned up the heat on them and they said, oh, what I meant to say is that you don't need to repent. You can just come in as you are, stay that way. Jesus didn't die for your sins. He, he just died to make us better. And he loves you the way you are. You just stay the, the same way so that you will love me and accept me and applaud me and not throw me to the lions, right? So that's what they do there. And notice they don't pray to feel bold. They pray to be made bold. You always feel intimidated if someone's ready to smack you in the face or pull a weapon on you or threaten to fine you a lot of money. Who doesn't feel a feeling of fear? But to quote that well-known theologian, John Wayne, <laughs> he said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Saddling up anyway. Because why? Because you are knit together with the one who created heaven and earth and the seas and everything in it. The one who's already written it all out and rigged the system for you to win and overcome. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You can applaud. That's it. You're going to always feel the the fear. But what happens is when God answers and does his thing, you continue to not live in fear. Stop. Look at me. Look at me. Stop living in fear. It will not prevent you from being saved that you live most of your life in cowardice. But you will miss out on the blessings Live your life in faith and confidence that God is with you and he's for you. Does it matter about a job? Does it really matter? Don't you know that God will take care of you? He will take care of you. You don't have to live in fear. You live in faith and enjoy. God has given us a life to serve him, to love him, to love our families, and to do his will unafraid. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's pray together. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we just thank you. It's easier said than done. <laughs> but here are these believers. They go on. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and they keep speaking in the name of Jesus. The exact opposite of what they've been told because they don't hold their life dear unto themselves, but what's precious to them is God their Father and Christ their Lord and the work that you've called us to do. So fill us with that boldness. Give us words of wisdom to navigate through this crazy, crazy world with light, truth, confidence, and zero fear. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.